Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast, the music industry podcast with me, Danny Champion, where I talk to a whole host of different people in and around the music industry who I know, or some of which I've never met before, about their job, about their interests, about their motivations, about their career through the music industry, in order to help those interested in a career in in the music industry work out what they might want to do and how they might want to go about doing it. This week's episode is a conversation via the internet with Luke Armitage, current Vice President of Global Marketing at Astral Works. Astral Works are a dance music label and they're part of the Universal Music Group labels, so very much part of the major label structure. Luke is a very old friend of mine. Uh, we both went to university and did the same course together. We both moved to London at the same time and lived together in those first two or three years after university. And it was a wonderful conversation, the kind of conversation that you don't have when you live with a person. It's the kind of conversation that you only have a few years later when you're both either married or engaged or, as we are, on different continents. Luke spent many, many years at Universal, which we discuss. We discuss his trajectory through the Universal system and just how he deals with life in the music industry. He's a very talented musician and music was always going to be what he wanted to do. So it was really interesting insight into how he has navigated the business side of things. He's now doing very well for himself as Senior VP of Global Marketing for a, a major record label. And he's living out in La La Land. So rather than me rabbit on, here is my conversation with a very dear friend of mine, Luke Armitage. How's La La Land treating you? How long have you been it's, out there now? Um, close to 18 months yeah. now. It's, it's an interesting place for sure. When the opportunity arose for you to take a position in Los Angeles in the music industry, was there any hesitation that you weren't going to do it? Or was it just, mm. I need to do that, I'm going to have to do that, whether it's for a week or whether it's for 10 years, yes, 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 yes. Or was there any kind of hesitancy, I guess? No, I mean, we had already, it just so happened that it happened right around the time that we were getting married. That was the only kind of awkward thing. Um, but we had discussed it. It was always on the cards. Even if I wasn't with my wife, I was always looking to, at some point in my life and career, live and work in L.A., it just so happened timing wise it was like five years before i'd planned mm -hmm. um i think the only hesitation i had and and just kind of still have is the fact that i'm so far away from my old life i mean less so than if i moved to australia but i mean family are now 11 hours flight yeah. away friends that i grew up with and i've known and my best friends are 11 hours away uh -huh. um but everyone is still like this on the end of a facetime or yeah. whatsapp or phone call 
So you still feel connected and it's actually absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. It's just so annoying when you, like I came back and I saw you, I came back for a friend's wedding, um, literally for a long weekend. And it took me 11 hours to get there. <laughs> and I was really tired. What's your job role these days? What's the job title? Uh, I am VP of global marketing. Um, okay. For Astroworks, uh, which is part of Capital Records. So for those uninitiated, what does yeah. VP of global marketing mean to the layman? Um, so I run the marketing department uh -huh. um, and Astroworks is Capital Records is um, dance and electronic label, yeah. um, uh, which is all under the Universal Music Group umbrella. And we are a team of 10 in, in the whole label, um, but we plug into various functions of, of capital mm -hmm. um, when, we, when we need to and want to. And my job is to market the records globally and make sure that all of our roster, whether it's things that we've signed or we take for the US from other universal business units, um, has a global plan and is work to the best of its ability for my point of view of marketing all it all our function is there to do is to amplify and steer and guide what the artist wants and the music um and i think we're in a very unique situation where we don't quote me on this but i believe we're the only label in the whole industry that actually is a global marketing function which means one product manager does both the US domestic marketing and the rest of the world okay. domestic marketing. Because I've found throughout my career when you have an international team, which mm -hmm. I've worked in, and a domestic team, which I've worked in as well, um, it's human, it's people. Communication sometimes breaks down um, or the people that are protective with information and it just feels like the information flows can get convoluted especially when there's so many different departments and people involved mm -hmm. so if you have one person to bring that all together globally um, i find that it's a much more efficient um campaign do you think it works in that way better for you because of the genre of music that you're working with partly um partly that partly uh the I guess the um, amount on our roster as well comes into that. How big's the roster? Um, we have currently uh, 28. Right. Um, and it's split, I think, 50-50. It, it might be slightly skewed now more um, domestically signed, but it's between domestic and, and from other business functions in Universal right. that we take just for the US. Okay, so you've got... Yeah, fifty percent are U.S. based acts that Astroworks. Or U.S. signed. Signed. U.S. signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Signed, and then the other half is other acts that have been signed in other parts of the Universal system worldwide that mm -hmm. you know might have come from Germany or Australia or even the U.K. That in the yeah. U.S. you look after and only look after in the U.S. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But the stuff that you sign out of the US, you look after worldwide. You don't hand it over exactly. to Germany for Germany, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we do. Um, I just oversee 
the marketing for those countries okay. as well. So, um, for instance, um, we have an act, and if in the UK we choose out of all the UK labels um, for this particular act, Virgin EMI is mm-hmm. going to be the UK label. So um, they have assigned their own product manager, they assign their own radio team, press team, and they do their own campaign, but we oversee it and make sure it's over in line with our global campaign, our US campaign. Um, we can assist with some marketing spend as well, um, but normally they're quite self-sufficient. We create the assets for them to do so, and we kind of give them the top line steer of where we want that campaign to go but i i always say that if you're apart from the uk if you're not living in that country and you're not living and breathing that country's you know musical culture every day they know it better than you it's like i think that's quite arrogant for you to think that oh no i think you should be doing the you should go on einslide first instead of you know on uh, wdr bremen and it's like, well, if the radio plugger thinks that you have a shot there first, mm-hmm. who am I to tell them to do that? That's their job to yeah, be the yeah. expertise in, in that country. So I trust them. And I, I think one of the benefits I have within the universal system, because I've been through it on and off for you know 10 years now, is I know a lot of people within the company. And I think uh, coming back to what I was saying about like creating genuine relationships and bonds with people, I, I can trust a lot of these people around the world mm-hmm. that they're gonna they're gonna do the job well and i and also because i've known them for so long as well i feel like i can ha- i can have an honest conversation with them as well yeah, if yeah. i feel like they need to pull their socks up or something isn't going what's going like to do some management know. yeah because some you know in an ever-changing um music industry globally where uh, everything is becoming more local based as well um, so, for example, Sweden, for a dance and electronic act, when I was in the UK, like, you'd break an act like that in Sweden. It would be mm-hmm. the first place you'd go to because Spotify was so evolved compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, so yeah. They, they had it really down. And also you could almost like smoke and mirrors with it. So if you got loads of streams on Spotify early and you got loads of support, then you go right onto like the big top pop radio stations in um in Sweden and you'd have a hit really quickly right. straight away. Lots of units, job done. Um, now it's becoming more and more like France has been traditionally or Canada where there has, there's not an imposing rule where a certain amount has to be French repertoire and radio, mm. but just because of the way the world is, you know, you know, if you want a juice world, also if you're trying to break juice world in, Sweden, well, Sweden now has their own juice world. So they would rather yeah. support and promote a Swedish version of Jap that yeah. than uh, an American or wherever the act is coming from. So it's an interesting find- it's an interesting way that things have kind of evolved that as digital and online has kind of I guess made the planet smaller, it's also <clears throat> meant that the individual places in there have gone and gone, well no, we don't we kind of want our own people to get the benefit of this rather yeah. than make it easier for those from other parts of the world, especially the Anglo-American stuff that's kind of a little bit available everywhere to say, well, no, actually, in Scandinavia or in Latin America, we actually want to push harder on 
on the home homegrown talent. I mean, oh, I, nice. I, we, Latin America we could speak about for days, but thinking about, again, with the hip-hop thing, you look at the German or the Dutch charts, and the Dutch charts, I think it was when, like, maybe Eminem's Kamikaze album came out, and everywhere around the world, or most countries, it was, like, every song was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But in Holland, there was this act called Lil Klein, who, uh, or Lil Klein, who released an album the same day his in the top 10 it was all of his songs yeah not eminem and in germany the same thing and and you know as you were saying it's kind of nice in yeah. a way that they have their, their their own thing and they're proud of it and that's what they're doing i still feel at the moment um to export it out is harder um okay. just because of systems and the way that other media is receptive to it and you look at something as recent as despacito um which was a global hit literally everywhere apart from the uk and the us which were us to some degree because of latin speaking territories like florida miami um but they as as soon as they got justin bieber on a verse bang and in the places where it was already a hit it became a hit again so it was like this is this is the power of, of again something else it's the power of localizing a record yeah. sometimes you've got to adapt for the local market whether that's for us making a local remix of something yeah. or putting in a feature So going back a decade when we all graduated university, did you ever think that you would be global head of marketing for a dance music label? Absolutely not. <laughs> Five years ago, I didn't think that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you, you kind of fall into these things. I, I, I didn't even think I would be working in the music industry. It was always something yeah, I wanted yeah. to do, but I, I wanted to be a pilot. <laughs> Standard. But... but I mean that because I, I always remember when you said that you were going down and you kind of started drifting into the world of of EDM and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that you weren't, never call it that. Sorry, <laughs> dance music. Um, drifting into the into the the dance music part of the industry, that it was, you know, you were into pop, you were into your mainstream stuff, but yeah. you were into a lot of different music, and it was never quite as niche as maybe mm-hmm. you're you're working with now did it yeah was it a bit of a culture shock uh yes and no i mean i start i got into dance and electronic music in my career when it was the pop of the day just like hip-hop is kind of the pop now mm-hmm. um dance was especially in the uk it was all over the charts and it was you'd get uk number ones all the time with dance crossover records, house music records. And it was also the time when um, the chain smoke became really prevalent. Yeah. And that sound, um, and I guess, uh, I hate the term, but the tropical house wave as well. Um, it slowed <laughs> dance music down yeah. from house being like 120 BPM, 130 BPM to something kind of around like 90 to 100 BPM. So it became more like pop songs and it became more accessible and, Mm -hmm. you know, there were more vocal led and less drops. And 
I think the Skrillex production of the Justin Bieber album of what do you mean? And it started having that high pitched vocal that now has become a standard within um, pop music for the past five years. Little innovations like that just made it more accessible. So for me, I always thought I was still working in pop. Um, But now that there's kind of the shift of trends um, around the world, I do feel like I work in a dance and electronic label now. Is um, it a bit, do you see, trying to think think of the best words to use here but you know the the people that you're working with are you in a microclimate i guess of a genre or are you or is are all genres kind of reaching across one another still and things like that yeah i mean i uh, i i would say both i would say some of the acts in our roster are you know we put out records for clubs and we we live in that kind of um, subculture. I I hate using the word culture. It gets battered around a lot. But mm-hmm. uh, we we um, you know we have records and artists for that ecosystem. Um, we even created a white label series because as a label we didn't want to be seen as just having big. You know, it's very nice and fortunate to have big hits every now and again. But mm-hmm. we just didn't want to be seen as that label we wanted to put something back and draw people to us that Mm -hmm. love club music love house love techno love trance love any type of dance music um but we could still work people like marshmallow and when you're saying about um genre bleeding we put out the record he did with tiger which was a hip-hop record essentially I, I like this idea that you've been at Universal as a universe as a you've been at Universal as an intern, all the way up to mm-hmm. vice president of global marketing. I think that's quite a fun, mm-hmm. quite a fun thing. Um, uh, yeah. Do you reckon there's anybody else in the in the system in the company that can that can boast that? Um, there is. Uh, there's a very good friend of mine. Uh, like genuine friend Chris Nelson, who I think you you know as well. Um, he's just moved out here, which is right. amazing for me because it's like he's, I've I've known him for ten years. But we started as interns on the same day. Nice. Um, uh, different parts of Universal International, but yeah. um, he he started on the same day, and he um, is now running international marketing for Universal Australia and New Zealand right. based in LA. Okay. And he just moved out with his wife six months ago. Um, yeah, so he's he's someone else that's um, it's just been really fun to it's really fun to like grow with people um, that you like and, and you're mates with. Well I was gonna say you've also grown with a company kind of mm-hmm. as well. You had a, a yeah. few years at Metropolis. How many years were you at Metropolis yeah. for again? Is it two or three? Uh, th- three and a half. Three yeah. and a half. So, how has Universal as a company changed in your from your perspective? This isn't just Universal. This is the music industry in total. This is songs. Yeah. This is chart. Like just listening to things. I feel old now <laughs> because 
just the way that the business works, but also like songs in the charts now. I remember when it was the first time round, right. and now we're coming round again. Okay, and you can see the cycle. Uh, and you know when you when you get records pitched to you where it has samples of a record that you worked <laughs> as well, you're like, oh, okay, I feel feel like I'm a little bit older now. Um, nice. But no, just like business functions, business functions within Universal that were there when I started, mm-hmm. um, that changed, evolved, broke off, and now are going back to how it was um, 10 years ago. You're seeing that now. Um, I think Universal really hasn't changed in terms of the way that it functions, but I think it's creating more opportunities. And I think the benefit of it being the number one world leader of, of, um, of music and entertainment allows it, I mean, money comes into it as well, mm-hmm. but it, it allows it to try different revenue paths as well. So there's, you know, a focus, um, there was a focus at Universal UK when I was there by David Joseph to get more into film with the Amy documentary and mm-hmm. um, and working in the same building as Motown. Um, they've just had a massive uh, celebration for Motown 60, but they, they had this Motown documentary as well that was produced by Full Wolf 73, who did the, uh, they've done loads of documentaries, but the uh, one that sticks to me was the one about Salford United, oh, about right. the class of 92. The class of 92, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they but they did this whole Motown one, this whole documentary with Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson, and and it was just a really cool um, documentary about not just about Motown, but the underlying I guess storyline that you don't realize until the end was just the love of two best friends between Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson, mm-hmm. which was really really sweet. Um, but then there's also you know you see films like yesterday which is an incredible film uh, which is remember the dude's name but he was the director of like four weddings and funeral and love actually and everything he made this film yesterday um british which is a british curtis. film Richard curtis has it um a british film but it is the beatles music front and foremost i guess like mamma mia was with abba music front and foremost Mm -hmm. so you're seeing different ways and especially that's kind of where i started at the record side of universal in the catalog catalog division um utilizing and finding different ways to reuse the catalog is that something that you guys at astroworks are doing as well or is it a little bit more kind of standard record label stuff are you trying to think a little bit no i i I, I have been looking at our catalogue and, and so Astroworks is an interesting label because it was started um, in 93 as a function to bring dance and electronic music to the US from the UK and Europe. Mm-hmm. And then in like the late 90s, early 2000s through to, I guess, like just before we came on board, um, they took a lot of... I guess, for one of a better word, orphan records that didn't have a US label and right. it, they just, they took it on. Um, so it became more than just a dance and electronic label. So I think the Kooks' first album goes through right. Astral Works. So I guess that, uh, that time of it kind of maybe like muddied the brand a little bit, perhaps? I, I mean, one would say maybe. 
um, there, uh, yeah, and and I guess part of the reason that we all came on board was to double down on the focus of being a dance and electronic label and going back to basics. Because you joined, you joined as kind of a part of a bit of a relaunch, didn't you? Yeah, the, yeah. the label moved from New York, which it had been since '93, um, to the Capitol Tower mm-hmm. in Hollywood, um, just because it was the last business unit of Capitol Records that wasn't in Hollywood. Um, so it made sense for it to move over and it was kind of starting afresh for that. But we rebranded, we we changed it. And, you know, I think by focusing on, on I guess, your strengths and what you're good at, um, we we had a, a great first year. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, I guess, it was quite surprising for us as well. Because when, when you treat things like a, a new business or you treat things as your own business, you don't expect to make money in within the first three years. Mm-hmm. That's just generalization from all new businesses. Um, but, you know, we we worked out that, you know, the power of saying no to things as well. Power of saying no to, to a quick buck. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't go against your... Um, strategy. I guess your master, yeah, your strategy, your master plan, yeah. which I implore for anything in the music industry is just authenticity. Yeah. People, people can, and it's mainly with artists that I say this, but people are smart. People can smell through the BS. spent three years outside of the major label system mm-hmm. what did that teach you yeah so i i would always say that metropolis those three and a half years there were like my second education right um it was i i would always credit um who was the ceo at the time ian for taking me under his wing and teaching me parts of the music industry um, that I had no exposure to before. Yes. So I really learned a lot and um, I learned a lot what to do and I learned a lot of what not to do right. as well. Yep. Um, but I, um, I know in effect, I was marketing a, a recording studio in London, mm-hmm. uh, um, a, very, uh, a, a very good studio and it was... Um, it was basically a blank sheet of paper. Right. He um, he basically said, to "Do what you want. Just just do marketing," uh, which was kind of fun and kind of daunting at the same time. I was say, so that sounds terrifying. I would be, yeah, because you would be like, "Well, the bu- the the business was uh, recording studios, mastering studios, and there was a digital creative agency as well." That um, you know, in that those days, say in those days. Uh, it was 2010, but it was, you know, making DVDs and Blu-rays or doing artwork or it was like a full 360 creative yeah. hub. Um, and I was marketing it and that was kind of fun. But then also at the time, they started to try and be a record label because the, the old CEO came from Universal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, I kind of know how to do this and by this point i'd only been working in the industry or in record labels for like two years 
was like, well, I, I, I think I know what I'm doing. Let me try and do this. So I, um, so I, we started doing a catalog label and that kind of functioning day to day of a record label was pretty much exactly the same as universal. The only difference is no one cares because you're not universal. <laughs> yeah. So all, and, and it's kind of funny because all, all, yeah. And you, you can attest to this when you have the backing of a major label, you can call and say, hi, I'm so-and-so from universal or I'm so-and-so from this company. And when you're not there, you're, Hey, I'm so-and-so from X, Y, and Z. And people are like, and your point, like, so what? Um, so that was a real eye opener to me yeah. that people just don't care <laughs> when, when you're not there, but you kind of, it, it makes you, for me anyway, it drives you a bit more. I, I, I always have had from, you know, all my life when people tell you, you can't do something or you shouldn't do something, it makes you try harder to do it. Mm -hmm. I always like proving people wrong. Maybe it's not a good trait, but I always do like doing that um, because you're your own, I guess, you know, you create your own destiny in terms of your career yeah. and you're the one that um, if you don't have the drive, then you're not going to do something. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. Uh, and then I remember in the car uh, with my, my old boss, we were going to a meeting and I think we had just made, we'd signed the band Reef, if you remember them. Yeah, I remember. They had the, I remember yeah. you doing that, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, and then um, we were doing a box set with them. Because we had these studios, so we were, um, and we had all this functionality to, to record, film, and, and, and do everything. So we made this box set, and then my boss was like, do you... Uh, do you, do you still like doing this or do you want to do something else? And I was like, well, I'm kind of interested in pushing, you know, the boundaries a bit more. And he was like, I'm going to change your title to special, special projects manager. And I was like, what does even that mean? Like, I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, so we started to make TV shows and we did a, we did a TV show with channel four um, yeah. called on track where I think it's still the only place in the UK that does it, but now Capital actually has bought a lathe to do this. But we were at the time the only place in I think maybe the world to record still direct to vinyl, which for an audio file and for people that's that's a big thing where mm -hmm. the band would come in, they'd literally rehearse and then press recording and cut it to the vinyl straight away. Right. And because it hadn't been done since like the sixties or seventies, um, there was a whole generation of people that didn't really know about it. So we um we made a tv show out of it and it ran for two seasons yeah um seasons sounding like american uh, series um <laughs> uh, on channel four and um so that was that was pretty fun and we were you know, conceptualizing a 3d tv show with sky and so i i had the ability to just do a lot of different and fun things i would have never have got to do and meet and experience and make contacts with people from all walks of the music industry which um was really fun yeah and um and then in the end i guess my transition back to universal was i was making we signed um a girl uh from the pussycat dolls mm. called ashley roberts who was uh at the time in a show a, a reality show called i'm a celebrity get me out of here which I, she either won or came second mm -hmm. um she we you know she wanted to make records still 
yep. she'd been out of a band for for a minute so we decided to make a record with her but again in my old boss's faction he was like cool do it then and i was like all right um and i had never a and r'd a record before but i had grown up being in bands and i i you know, very fortunate to play a lot of instruments as well mm-hmm. so i was like okay let's see how this gun how this goes but i'd never like put together an album so i had no idea where do you get the songs from you could just call up a publisher saying hey i'm luke from metropolis i'm making an album with x y and z can you send me some songs i mm-hmm. didn't know that that's actually how you do it as well but um we got on an a and r consultant who worked in pop and dance over you know 20 years um this guy called dean gillard who is one of my very dear friends now and um he helped a and r the album mm-hmm. with me and um just as we put it out he was like hey i need someone to come and work for me at universal doing dance music because he was heading up or still is heading up um the dance and electronic global division yep um that oversees records wherever they're signed around the world and he was like would you like to come and and do marketing for me and i was like i i don't really you know i'm not really that into dance music i don't really know that much about it i've spent all my life doing pop and and different things and i'm you know a product i'm going to see the chili peppers later tonight and that is my thing like 90s rock Mm -hmm. um and he gave me the confidence to know that in essence you know you can't compare marketing records to marketing a can of baked beans but if you're working in music and you can find some kind of empathy within the genre or some kind of connection it's essentially the same thing the Mm -hmm. same process you just need to find the different avenues that are right for that genre and that record um so he gave me the confidence and ability that i could do that job and I went to work for him for four years, and that was my my role before moving to LA. So um, he again is is my teacher. He I've learned a lot from from Dean, um, and I'm happy that I've I've made a lifelong friend from him from making a pop album with a pussy you know, doll. Um, exactly. When you've got Universal as your employer, that gets mm-hmm. you through the first door that's in your way. And then when you were at Metropolis, no one cared. When you said, yeah, always, always I'm, a lot harder. I'm, yes. Yeah, it was a- um, I'm interested to find out what was your, what were your techniques for making people keep that door open? When I was at Pier, I. I went down the efficiency road. Yeah. So I just made sure that whenever I was engaged with, I got paperwork back first. I messaged first. I rang back first to have that conversation and I made sure that they'd always want to come back because I did the job the most efficiently. So I'm just, I'm just oh, interested yeah. to find out what other people did in that situation. Um, that was definitely an element to it. I, um, I, I've always thought that I would be like the world's worst salesman. I don't think I could ever do a gig like selling cars or selling things. Cause it just, I, I, 
the act of not being yourself and trying to sell something, which is ironic because I work in marketing, but um, the idea of that kind of direct sale is is kind of a little cringy for me. Uh Um, So I've always done it of building genuine relationships um, and and always 100% being myself and actually wanting to get to know someone and you know, hopefully portraying that my conversation is more than just trying to close a deal. Um, so if it was, you know, say Sky TV, for instance, when I was trying to do a show with them and they'd be like, who are you? Why, why are you doing that? A, I'd like to try and come to it from a different angle. So why would they want try and find a reason? Why would they want to work with us? Mm-hmm. A, is it something completely different than they haven't thought of? Are we more efficient? Are we doing X, Y, and Z with them? But also it'd be like, hey, I'd love to grab a coffee, grab a beer, like come to your office or you come and see our studio. That was one thing that we had actually that was a, a selling point to us was for non-music. The studio. Yeah, it was for a, non, for a corporate person, for a non-music person coming into where, you know, so many seminal albums have been recorded, mm-hmm. mixed, mastered. It was exciting for, for people, especially of that generation, that age when I was working there, you know, like the mid 40s peoples that were working in banks or different things. And it's where Duran Duran recorded their album and everything. It was exciting for them where Freddie Mercury's piano was. It was where the last Queen album mm-hmm. was made, um, where Rihanna made her records. That's that was exciting for them. So um, so we could hook them in on that, but also it was just the ability to just have an honest, genuine and open conversation with them. And and if it wasn't for them, then it wasn't for them. But um, you'd like to think that the relationship was more than just surface level. I'm trying to do this deal. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've carried through my whole career that um, if I want to meet someone, I want to, find out about them and what makes them tick because as i said at the beginning of this conversation so my my best friends work in music but i've never done business with them but i know that because i've had a long existing relationship with them that is genuine and true if i want something to happen i can call them and i know that it will happen are you still playing at all you mentioned uh, you kind of reminded me of all that sort of stuff, and I've obviously chatted with Pepper recently and that sort of thing. You 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 used to be a fairly prolific songwriter and performer. Yeah, I I wish I I did play more. Um, I honestly no, I just I just haven't had the time. I we have a studio in in, our, in my house, so my wife is a songwriter that here in LA. My last question. Um, Okay, uh, we, can, we can go back to that. Okay, well we can we can go back to that. You you, you can ask that question. Um, no, I, I wish I had more time to do it. I um, we have a, a studio set up in the house, and I dabble sometimes. I recently bought a bass because I remember all the time I was in London, I would borrow your bass, my your awful five string awful bass. five string bass that I think I spent eighty pounds on. Was it as much as that? I thought you said 20. <laughs> no, uh, no, it was one of those kind of horrible five-string ones that you get off eBay for about 80 quid, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the benefit of living where we are, I, I live in the valley, um, so the guitar centre in Sherman Oaks is mm-hmm. a two-minute drive away. 
So when we moved, the first thing I did was I was like a kid in the candy store going to um, a guitar center. Also going, all right, well, the dollar against, I was still thinking in pounds as well, which now I'm not, but I was still thinking in pounds. So I was not like, oh, $200. No, it's amazing coming back. <laughs> Trying to, yeah, going the other way, not so much. Um, <laughs> but thinking like $200 for a, a Fender Squire bass and a gig bag. Uh, and whatever I'm like bargain like I'm getting that mm. so I've been playing a lot of bass recently just okay. to try and like, just my bass showing chops. off at your multi-instrumental um, <laughs> I wish yeah um, Raquel you just mentioned yes. you mentioned you mentioned the wife uh, yes the songwriter artist's wife um, mm-hmm. she is an independent singer-songwriter is she not? She is. Correct me if I'm wrong. You are the VP of global marketing at a major record label. Yeah. (laughs) So you kind of see two sides of the music industry. It's been a very good education for me as well. Yeah. So Uh, how does kind of, do you get involved at all, even on an advisory level? Are you, or do you try and kind of go, no, that's your thing and this is mine? Um, and is it is it eye opening to see the the what the, I guess the struggles of uh, an emerging, developing, independent songwriter? Yeah, yes, um, to all of those. <laughs> so just yes, yeah, just yes. Uh, I I uh, always have to encourage the fact that that is her thing. Mm-hmm. I have my thing. Um, but of course it's, it's my wife. So I, um, I do advise and, um, look holistically at different things. Um, but it's, it's very much, you know, her career. Um, so sometimes she'll write a song, you know, she'll have a session with some people will go on a writing camp and come back and go, what do you think of these? Um, and actually another colleague, uh, at Capital, his wife's a songwriter as well. And we kind of, we we have a water cooler moment sometimes where it's like did you just get in trouble for saying that you didn't like a song like yeah <laughs> like yeah same um but you know sometimes sometimes you have that but also it's it almost comes back to the metropolis days where uh-huh. if you are an independent person um and you're trying to carve your career um as a creative you know people sometimes don't care they, they you know they're all they're always someone someone better or you know more hot than you to to work with so yeah. it, it you do see the struggle of that um i think the benefit of what i do in my relationships or i can tell who's a good partner for her and and who's not and um i can see whereas someone would see a deal and go that's a bad deal for me or I shouldn't be doing this because they're just looking at what's on paper. They're not looking at the big picture. And I, I have the benefit of going, well, do you know what? Like looking over her shoulder saying, actually that deal is probably good because I know on paper it's a bad deal, but that can get you to the next place to then do, you know, it's like chess. You're Mm -hmm. always looking at different moves ahead and going, well, yeah, if you're looking at it straight as it is, yes, that is bad. And if it's a long-term deal or doing something, probably don't do that yeah. um, which is a, a reason why she out of a lot of her cohorts she's probably one of the only unpublished writers 
you coming from a publishing background will attest to it that there really uh, uh, there really is no point in my opinion signing a publishing deal super early when uh, the advance isn't going to be that huge and it's going to be ridiculous terms yeah and, i think it depends it, it there's so many factors that can that influence that the relationship you yeah. have with the person who's offering you the deal being the very first one and then all the various assortment of little bits of the terms how much money is up front how long the deal is but yes yes i think mm -hmm. if it's an early deal and someone's giving you very little for for a long time yeah don't sign well I, and also it's um you we got to weigh the pros and cons it's what is a publisher going to do at this stage and exactly. they'll book sessions and they'll try and get you cuts um but in the industry that or in the pop industry where there is especially a lot of co-write there's always going to be some publishers involved and not mm -hmm. to say that that's a lazy approach but those people will send it to their publishers and they will try to place it for a cut anyway yeah so really all a publisher is going to really do for you is bankroll you and or put you in sessions but i know a bunch of songwriters that all have major publishing deals that still have to book their own sessions because they are one of three thousand writers on their books <laughs> yeah. so at, at this stage for where she's at and um you know i still feel like holding on to your publishing is is a smart and good thing mm -hmm. um but also doing you know um uh, uh what's the word obviously not had enough coffee this morning um <laughs> non-exclusive you've been drinking so far yeah. the the, the uh, doing non-exclusive sync uh, deals for sync agencies yeah. i think that's a smart thing to do if if you're at a point where you're not signing away your rights for publishing i think that that is a smart thing to do um but yeah it's exciting it's really nice to see someone so close and and kind of having the energy because sometimes when you're in a major company or you've been doing things for a long time you do start to sometimes get a little bit jaded at times yeah, yeah, yeah. and um it's nice to go back home and then have someone by your side that's doing the complete opposite ends to what you do yeah. and almost the reason why you're working in that industry in the first place mm -hmm. and i mean she uh and what was actually quite nice is kind of full circle about connections and relationships. Um, I've, I've worked with a guy called Jonas Blue mm -hmm. um, for his whole career. And his uh, breakout uh, hit featured a girl called Dakota, who's the, the vocalist on it. And she was in L.A. doing sessions and she uh, caught up with her and she actually uh, went and had a session with my wife and they wrote a Latin track for a latin artist like two days ago and i've literally just been playing it non-stop because i'm like this is an absolute banger it's nice. like it's amazing um so it's it's amazing to kind of see full circle the creative process and then when it gets placed with someone and it gets cut and <laughs> sometimes it sounds nothing like that original demo that you that you heard <laughs> yes yes and i think mate that is a wonderful way to finish up this conversation thank you so much for for giving me a couple of hours of your sunday morning fantastic thank you for having me
Massive thank you there to Luke for giving me a few hours of his Sunday morning to chat with me over over Skype and as per usual deal with all the various Wi-Fi and connection issues that I seem to have. Something that I'm going to have to sort out for future episodes done in this way. If you're interested in learning a bit more about Astral Works, the record label, you can find them online at www.astralworks. That's A-S-T-R-A-L-W-E-R-K-S, astralworks.com or twitter.com forward slash astralworks or instagram.com forward slash astralworks records or at astralworks records. Find Luke on Twitter at Luke Armitage or Instagram at Luke Armitage. As always, do get in touch with me at the podcast behind the business pod at gmail.com or via Instagram behind the business pod at Instagrams at behind the business pod or via my own personal Twitter account at Danny Champion, D A N Y Champion. I'll be back for the next few weeks up until the end of 2019 with some other episodes. Looking forward to putting some new stuff together for the new year. Uh, but I will be back to talk a little bit about that in the weeks, maybe in, in the new year itself. Until then, thank you very much for coming back and listening. Speak to you next time.